Hello everybody and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have artist and songwriter, Eric Dillon. You're going to hear Eric's story of growing up in Kansas and what first got him into music. You'll also hear about his time at MTSU, networking on the open mic scene, and writing songs such as There Was This Girl for Riley Green and Joe for Luke Combs. I had a great time talking to Eric. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Eric? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So getting right in your story, you grew up in Kansas. What was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up in a really small uh, farming community in northeast Kansas. And, uh, you know, probably a lot like every other kid that grew up in the country. You know, we had dreams of going to bigger places and, and doing bigger things. And now that I'm older, I kind of just wish that I uh, could get back to that. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was awesome. Did a lot of fishing and hunting and and played music of course and yeah worked on worked on that kind of stuff were you a k-state fan or a kansas fan i know there's a strong divide there i'm a jayhawks fan uh, which it was a rough weekend for us but uh but i pull for k-state too i've got a a lot of buddies and family members that are k-state fans but uh the farther i get away from kansas the more i just support all the all the teams i even root for pretty much any big 12 team if I'm not, if, if the Hawks aren't in it, you know. For sure. Now, growing up, who are some of the first artists or albums you remember listening to that made you resonate with music? Uh, two of the big ones. I mean, they're Billy Joel Greatest Hits, one and two. That was a big record for me to listen to and just realize how great the songwriting was. The The songs on, it was uh, it was like the first thing that, I can remember buying with my own money as a kid. I bought that. Um, another one was a Jerry Jeff Walker record. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I, I resonated, like certain songs resonated with me. Um, there was a song called LA Freeway on that record. And uh, I looked in the liner notes and noticed that the name next to that was G Clark, which was Guy Clark. Mm-hmm. And um, that led me to Guy Clark, Steve Earle, Towns Van Zant, all of those um, incredible songwriters that make me made me want to move here and uh, honestly when I moved to Nashville half of it was just hoping that I could meet my heroes you know so yeah it was uh it's very cool that I get to do this and write with some of those people now that are still with us for sure now do you pick up a guitar or any instrument at a young age uh guitar was um probably fifth or sixth grade um I started learning there were always guitars around because my grandfather played, my dad played guitar and, um, you know, they, they were always around, but I think when, um, I don't know, some of the, some of the music that made me want to play guitar wasn't country music. It was the, it was learning the intro riff to inner Sandman, you know, or, you know, smells like teen spirit. And then, and all of those Seattle songs that were coming out at the time, but, um, but, um, the farther I, the, I guess the older I get, the more I go back to what I listened to at a very young age, which is 
probably like you, it's what your parents were playing in the in the car when you were when you're riding in the back seat. And, and luckily, my parents listened to really, really good 70s country music and very good singer songwriters, James Taylor and Billy Joel and people like that, Elton John. So now in high school, were you kind of starting to play out in your local area, forming bands or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, the the garage band, you know, just uh, if if the guy if one of your buddies said that he wanted to play bass, he was the bass player, you know, that that kind of thing. But but uh, a lot of that was just for fun and, and, you know, just sloppy cover band music that we all we all do when we're just learning how to do it. So, yeah, yeah those were those are fun days, though. My parents put up with a lot. <laughs> because <laughs> it was our garage <laughs> oh man but, were you yeah. were you writing anything at that time or had you not really written any original material uh i i guess i i if i i was but it probably it wasn't very good <laughs> i was learning you know yeah so i don't know that uh when i got to nashville even i i thought i could write a song when i got here and i learned realized very quickly how good the songwriting is in this town and that I had a lot of work to do if I wanted to get on that level with, with the people that I, that I wanted to be writing with and the people that I aspired to be when I was, you know, more successful. So, yeah. Now coming to like senior year of high school, did you have the plan of moving to Nashville already? Uh, did you go to college? What was that plan? I had no clue that you, I, I didn't understand how a publishing deal worked or anything like that. Um, I went to KU for a year and then I transferred to a school called Middle Tennessee State University. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in Murphy's. It's in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I wanted to be a sound engineer and also get into the songwriting program. But um, I tried for three semesters and they wouldn't let me in the songwriting program. So uh, I, I didn't uh, I guess I, I didn't know enough music theory or something. I don't know. But uh, so I graduated with uh, my production and engineering degree and with hopes to become an engineer in Nashville and realized when I started doing internships that I love the creative process on the songwriting side more than I like focusing on one song for a day mixing. Yeah. Um, that's so that's when I started playing open mics and uh, just playing wherever I could in town to hopefully get noticed by somebody. I didn't know anybody in town i didn't have any family members in the industry or anything like that so i i figured if i was not on the couch playing the guitar if i was in front of people playing the guitar in nashville maybe something would happen that's kind of kind of what i was thinking and i i worked a job worked a bunch of different jobs like we all do when we move here and just whatever you can do to stay in town um, that's pretty much what i did now, what did those first kind of months or year look like networking for you? Was it meeting people at MTSU kind of in the programs you were in or were you going out kind of meeting people uh, at the local like events? Really, the, the MTSU friends that I had going to school, I met. They didn't realize that I was in the music industry until, until years later mm -hmm. um, because I I worked a day job for five years in Nashville and was not in the music industry at all after I graduated college. So I, I reconnected with some, some people that I went to school with, but um, the networking process for me was the open mic circuits in Nashville. I played around 200 open mics in 2011. That was the year that I really went for it and just wanted to see if I could make something happen. Yeah. Um, 
And that support system was awesome because you're in a, you see the same people um, every night of the week because they're all just females and males like me coming in, wanting to, wanting to be songwriters. And you, you tend to become buddies with them because they're the only people listening to your songs because nobody else shows up to those things half the time. So, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, that, that, that support system was awesome because you could tell someone if they had a good song, you know, or I liked that song. And sometimes you just need that affirmation that what, what I'm doing has value, you know? So, and I didn't co-write at all um, until I got my first publishing deal. I, I was, I felt like I needed to write by myself and show publishers and industry representatives what I did um, as a songwriter without co-writing just so that they would understand who I was more. So yeah. um, the, the co-writing process started for me in late 2011, 2012, when I signed my first pub deal. So who do you say is kind of in your class that you were seeing a lot of these like events you were playing at uh, other writers that you came up with that are uh, successful now too? Uh I just missed Josh Thompson. Uh, Josh played some of the same venues that I played a couple years before because a lot of that friend group talked about him because he made it. You know, he was somebody that that kind of went through those ranks and, and made it. One guy specifically that I played tons with was uh, Jake Mitchell. Mm-hmm. He's written, uh, he's produced Hunter uh, or not Hunter, uh, Jameson Rogers, and written a some hearty hits and, and has had a really successful career. But Jake and I met in the open mic line for the Bluebird. Um, we were just two guys that were trying to figure out what we were doing and became buddies. So, nice. um, but uh, there were quite a, quite a few um, different singer songwriters and honestly, a lot of songwriters that aren't doing it professionally that I feel like were better than I was, but, for, but they didn't, they didn't plan on staying in Nashville long enough to get that deal to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people move here for a few months and live off credit cards and rack up a bunch of debt and realize that the wheels move very, very slow in this town. And by the time they turn around, they, they are $10,000 in debt and they have to move back to where, wherever they came from. Yeah. So Luckily, I had a day job and I worked, you know, worked every day and I played every night. So that's what kept me here. No. So how does that first publishing deal come about kind of in that first year of playing on the songwriting circuit? Uh, I was playing a venue called um, Belcourt Taps and Tapas. It's in it's near Vanderbilt University. Yeah. And um, they had outdoor speakers playing the songwriters that were in doing the, the songwriter round and an artist named Kip Moore, he walked by mm-hmm. and he had just signed with Universal Records and liked what he heard from the outdoor speakers and walked in and uh, gave me his number and his email address and introduced me to his publisher, Brett James. So that's how I got my first pub deal was from Kip. Um, just just being a good dude and passing my info along to his publisher. Now, at that time, did you kind of start writing a lot with Kip? And I mean, Brett James is a huge songwriter as well. Did did you guys get yeah. all collaborating together? Yeah, I've, I wrote quite a few songs with Brett. I was at that company for three years, and I, I wrote a handful of songs with Kip. Um, there's a song called Comeback Kid on his Wild, uh, Wild Ones record that was one that we wrote together. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we, we didn't write a ton, but he kind of, I feel like he just gave me the keys to the building in a lot of ways. Like you're in here now, go figure it out, you know, go meet your, go meet your core songwriters, go out and figure out the next level of this town. Um, the You've climbed over one wall and then there's another wall after that. So that's, that's what you figure out really quick in this town is it's, you never see the top of the mountain. And if you do, it's not for very long. And there's, lots of gatekeepers in this town and you just have to be present and they say network, but just be, be present and be a good person and be friendly to people and do good work and, and work as hard as everyone else. Because if you don't, they're going to beat you to the cuts. They're going to do everything. I mean, you just have to be present. Yeah. So how does the relationship with Riley green form and uh, eventually leading you to sign with 50 egg music? Riley was introduced to me by a booking agent named Bradley Jordan and Bradley has been, he's promoted shows in the Southeast for years as Peachtree entertainment. Mm -hmm. Bradley introduced me to Riley um, when Riley was gigging a lot in the Southeast and wanted to start coming to Nashville to co-write a little bit. And so he would drive up and we would write, the, the first song we ever wrote was a song called Outlaws Like Us. Mm-hmm. And that was just me and him. And then I just, I loved what he did. And I saw potential because he did what I liked to hear and what I liked to write. Um, and we had similar backgrounds where we grew up in more rural areas and just the songwriting aspect. We were influenced by a lot of the same people too, mm-hmm. but uh, that just started that friendship. And Bradley, honestly, and he introduced me to that's how I think that's how Luke Combs met me. I think that's Bradley might've sent that to him. Um, Muscadine bloodline was a band that Bradley was really tight with Uh, Ashlyn craft. Um, There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different artists that Bradley has been in on the ground floor and just pushed and told me they were great or told everybody in Nashville, they were great. And then they end up being, they are great. Um, and the most current one is Ella Langley. Um, she's going to be, I think she's going to be a massive star and that's all Bradley and my buddy, Jimmy Prisco, um, Riley's tour manager are managing her. So I don't know. You just ask your buddies and people you trust and they, they usually send you cool artists that you might be interested in writing with. Um, most of the co-writes that I love are things that happen like that organically. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, uh, you end up writing one of his uh, first smash hits, uh, There Was This Girl. What do you remember yeah. about the day you wrote the song and who came in with the idea and just anything that happened in the writing room that day? That song was a, was a super quick co-write. It was just me and Riley, and um, he hadn't signed a record deal yet, and we I was producing an EP on him. Um, we were going to release that independently. He'd been he'd released several projects independently before the big machine deal. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we realized we were going to the studio soon and did not have any tempos at all. They were all songs that we like to write that are more you know, slower ballad style songs, which I love those songs. But uh, we thought we sh- might want to write a tempo for that. And uh, he had the title. There was this girl and we just. 30 minutes later. I mean, that was such a quick song. 
we didn't really think too much about it, honestly. Like it wasn't one of those songs that we finished and thought we had written something great that day. Because um, I think there's a difference between commercially great and great a great song song, you know, like a Travis Meadows song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just thought we wrote something cool that day. And um, the guitarist on the session was a, was Rob McNelly. And Rob um, gave him, you know, I wanted it to be twangy. So he started working through some of those licks and came up with that, that siglet that just opens the song up and it just felt right, you know? So uh, luckily that ended up being my first number one and Riley's first number one on country radio. So it's a very, very good day. For sure. Another one of your songs that's gotten a lot of attention this past year is uh, Joe for Luke Combs. Uh, you wrote that one with him. What do you remember about the one, uh, the day you wrote that song? And Joe was, I, I over COVID uh, 2020, I was kind of going through old stuff that I had started and we had a lot of free time. I mean, you remember it. We were just hanging out at the house and mowing our yards and, and I was playing guitar a lot. And I, I went through all of my, old work tapes from years and years and years ago. And that song, it wasn't titled Joe or anything, but it had some of the bones and I started working on that. And I sent that song to, I texted it to, I think I texted it to Ray Fulcher first. And yeah. And I said, Hey Ray, we always swap work tapes and love to send stuff to each other. And Luke also, but Luke was with Ray at the time that I texted it to, to Ray, like, this is kind of cool. And um, when Luke heard it, he immediately uh, called me and asked if, you know, he said, I love this. Let's finish this song. So that's, uh, we had a date um, in 2021 and finished it. I love that song. I think, I think the production on it's great. I think vocals are always great. Luke's one of the best singers that I know. So, and he's a great songwriter too. Yeah. He really is a great songwriter. I know that, he gets a lot of credit for being a great singer, but in the room, in the writing room, he 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 could be a, a hit songwriter with or without a record deal. I believe um, he just he's that he's just a great songwriter. No doubt. Now you yeah. also have released two albums of your own, "Heart of Flatland" and "Baseball on the Moon." Do you have any mm-hmm. more plans to release a new album, maybe this year? Yeah, I am working on a new record. Um, it's taken me time. The, the first record, Heart of a Flatland Boy, I had my whole life to write. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the new record, I, I feel like I know what it needs to be and what I feel in my heart that it needs to be. Some of the hurdles that I have now that I'm getting more cuts is that some of the songs that I've picked out to cut for a new record end up getting cut. And I and I consider myself a songwriter before I do an artist. And anyone that wants to cut a song, I'll give that to a major label artist to to record because that's how I make a living. Yeah. So um, some song, I mean, I have about eight songs, and I'd like to have a rounded out to ten. I think ten is a great number for a record, just for a listening experience. And uh, I'm a big fan of just full bodies of work and cohesive projects. I love concept records and, and things like that. But um, yeah, this year there'll be something coming out for sure. I don't know at, at what level, at what level uh, band wise, I'm not really certain on that yet because I, I put a record out called Bones of a Flatland Boy in 2019 or 2020, I think. 
mm-hmm. that was just all acoustic guitar vocals that I recorded on one mic. Yeah. And that really resonated with my listeners almost more than the full band recordings. Mm-hmm. So I would like to intertwine those two and maybe have a little more broke down version of the songs that I'm that I'm playing with some instrumentation, but not not full blown six, seven piece band kind of stuff. So it'll yeah. be fun. Though. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> so that'll be really cool. Yeah. Now, I like to close my interviews by asking, what's a piece of advice you've learned along your journey that you give to the aspiring songwriters out there? Man, I, I would say to, to aspiring songwriters, listen to great songs, number one, because you're going to be influenced by the songs that are either good or, I, I, and that's all subjective. Like if you, you know, good or bad, it's all subjective. But I think you need to be present. I think you need to stay off the couch and go play music and get out in front of people because you must be present to win in this town. If you're not there, if you're not in the room that's going to give you the break that could possibly start your career, if you're at home playing that on your couch, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think we're in a different world now with, um, with TikTok and Instagram and all of the different avenues. But so if that's your room that you're playing, my, my, mine was analog going to an open mic and driving 20 minutes here and there and catching shows. But if TikTok or Instagram is the way that you're going to connect and become noticed and people go, wow, that person's great. I want to, something's there, you know, then do that, but do something though. And, and, and if you're going to write songs, you just, you need to put in the time. It's not a, it's not a quick process. Sometimes it is, but you just need to do it every day. Like you do anything else. If you, if you want to be a great bricklayer, you need to lay a bunch of bricks before you get good. And if you want to be a great songwriter, you need to write a bunch of songs. And the first ones are not going to be great. Maybe you'll get lucky, but, um, but you just, it's a, it's a continuous process. And sometimes I wake up and wonder if I can even write a song. <laughs> you, you, you question yourself every day. And sometimes the muse is there and sometimes it isn't. And that's yeah. not our fault. Um, if we show up every day, then we're in the position that if we get inspired, we can write something. And if that doesn't happen, put your guitar in the case and go take a walk, you know, whatever, you know, but that's about, and, and I don't know, it, advice is a tough thing because it's a, it's not a straight line in this, in this industry or in, in songwriting in general. It's just, Everybody does it a little different, but you have to do something all the time. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Eric Dillon. Eric, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at the Flatland Boy, And make sure to come back next week to my conversation with background vocalist Wes Hightower. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music. And let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.